Well, thank you, Daniel. It really is a delight to be with you here at Unionville. I am so pumped that I get to be here on the first service that you're actually regathering after many months of not being able to gather. So can we just have a little fun? Come on, this is great! Woo! I am a hugger by nature, so I, I won't break any rules, uh, you know, so just uh, keep me the distance I need to be, but I just want to give you a virtual hug. Can I just do that and say, you are deeply loved. All those watching, uh, you are deeply loved. And I'm so thankful uh, to meet your new pastor, Daniel. If you haven't had a chance to hang out with Daniel, do it. We hung out last week, and we're like kindred spirits, brother. I just loved uh, the conversation we had. And they're newlyweds too, right? I mean, this is great. And you know what's so cute is you watch them worship. One hand was in the air, and the other hand, they're holding hands. Oh, come on, guys. That was just adorable. It was great. Agnes and I arrived uh, early today so that we could uh, do a prayer walk around the outside of your church. It's something I always do in our Alliance churches. So I want to let you know what I prayed for you as I walked around your building today. I prayed with the incredible love of God the Father fall fresh on you today. That if you're feeling any anxiety, any places of fear in your soul, any uncertainty about the future, that the incredible, the immense, the awesome unstoppable love of God the Father would fall on you as a congregation today and you would know shalom. And then I prayed that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ would sweep over you like a mighty wave. I want to declare this to you today. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Amen. You are forgiven and you are free. And then Daniel, I got pretty excited after that. And I prayed, Spirit of the living God, would you just fall fresh on this congregation? It was said earlier today, without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit, we can accomplish nothing. And so what I'm praying for is more than just information to be communicated through a sermon. Oh, I want us to have an encounter with the living Christ today. I want our hearts to be so intoxicated by his presence, by his glory, by his awe-inspiring reality that we leave here differently that wherever you are online, that somehow in this holy moment you are so encountered with the immense beauty and glory of Jesus that it's uncontainable. Uncontainable. And your neighbors will say, what happened to you today? Because when you are touched, when you are encountered by the living Christ, you are never the same. Our vision prayer, oh, I love praying our vision prayer. I'm so glad we don't have a vision statement. Come on. A vision prayer, oh God, with all our hearts, we long for you. Full stop. More than anything else, we, as the Christian and Mystery Alliance, are desperate for you, God. Oh, come, and this is what I prayed over you as a church as well. Oh, come, transform Unionville Alliance Church to be Christ-centered at its core, to be spirit-empowered and to be mission-focused, making disciples everywhere. And then I pause. I want you to hear the words of Jesus in this holy moment. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. He says, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. Oh, I was dead. But now look, it is a command. It's actually a command in that, that verse that says, open your eyes, Unionville Alliance. Look, see the glory of the risen Lord in all of his fullness, in all of his power, in all of his beauty, beauty, look, says Jesus, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. 
Friends, the one who holds the keys, hallelujah, holds you. He's got you. So Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us today? All those who are listening through the internet, would you just encounter us in a way that staggers us, in a way like John in, in the book of Revelation was knocked off his feet by the immensity of the vision of you that he saw. So Jesus, captivate us in this moment. Hold us in this moment. Move us in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the early presidents of the Christian Missionary Alliance wrote this. The genius of the alliance is Christ himself. Our attachment to him is the bond that holds us together and determines our relationship to each other. Our message to the world is Jesus only. Hallelujah, yes. He is the redeemer. He is the rescuer. He is the savior. He is the hope of the nations that we sung about earlier today. And our mission is to make him known in all of his fullness everywhere. In this unique moment of history, we need more than encouragement. Oh, I know we need lots of encouragement. But as I said earlier, I believe we need an encounter with the awe-inspiring Jesus. It was like playing a multi-million dollar video game. An Air Canada pilot friend of mine invited me to go with him and his co-pilot to a simulator at the Toronto airport. And as we walked inside the simulator, it's like the cockpit of, of, of one of the Air Canada aircraft. And the two uh, pilots sat down, they strapped themselves in, and I sat behind them and I strapped myself in. And they turned on the LCD screens and the, the whole cockpit came alive with color and animation. And then they put a screen in front of me. And on that screen were several buttons. And each one of those buttons would, would actually bring about a scenario, a critical scenario that they would have to resolve in order to keep the plane level, flying, and safe. So as we got up to 39,000 feet, oh, Daniel, you would have loved this. At 39,000 feet, I pushed fire in engine one. And the entire cockpit exploded with activity and lights were flashing and buzzers were going off. And the two pilots worked furiously to get the plane under control. And when everything was stabilized, I pushed fire in engine two and it started all over again. They were sweating. They were working so hard to get everything calmed down. And, and finally, when they got it stabilized, I pushed a button I wish I would have never pushed. It simply had the word decompression. And the idea was is that pressure would be lost and the plane would automatically go into a dive and it would need to go from 39,000 feet to under 10,000 feet in a matter of seconds. I don't know who screamed. I think it was me in a very high-pitched, effeminate scream. As we went into this straight dive, we got everything stabilized. And my friend, the Air Canada pilot, looked at me and said, do not touch any more buttons. <laughs> it was a wild ride. And friends, the last 14 months with COVID-19 has been a wild ride. The temptation for some of us is to step back, to stand down, to check out. And the pandemic in many ways has dealt a significant blow to our spiritual passion, to our mission-focused passion, as we've sort of gone into survival mode. And as I talk to leaders across Canada, this is what I've been hearing. I feel more secure than ever, insecure than ever before. I find I'm more emotionally exhausted and less productive. Some of you are probably relating to some of this. For the first time ever, I'm considering early retirement. Others say, I'm seeing an increased tension and division in my congregation over how to respond to the pandemic. Someone said, I had no idea how overwhelmed and sad I would feel 
by accumulated losses. As Agnes and I were listening to the worship team, Nadia, you did such a great job today. We started crying. And, and it was like we hadn't been in a worship service with live people around us for months. And it just felt so liberating. It felt so nourishing to our souls. Accumulated losses that we felt along the way. One of my buddies put it in three words, soul-sucking season. And you know the temptation in moments like this is to actually multiply solutions and to minimize solitude, to kind of introduce new ideas. What are we going to do but to neglect intimacy with Jesus? I want to suggest to you, could the exact opposite be what is needed? Perhaps the key to energizing our mission passion in the midst of a pandemic is not by initiating innovative programs, but rather by a radical change of perspective. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is uh, first, uh, 2 Kings chapter 6. You know, Elisha is in the city of Dotham, and the Aramean army has surrounded the entire city. And the servant gets up early in the morning, and he sees the entire city surrounded by the Aramean army. And his first response is shock. Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And the next phrase is, oh, my Lord, he says, what shall we do? And isn't that true of us? In the midst of panic, in the midst of crisis, in the midst of uncertainty, our first thought is, oh, what shall we do? But notice what Elisha's response is. He says, do not be afraid. What a great word. We need to hear that over and over again. Do not be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And then notice the next phrase. And I think this is a prophetic word for the church today. Open his eyes so that he may see. You see, I'm convinced that in this season, what we see, how we see, will determine actually how we live. And, and I'm convinced that in this moment, we don't primarily need a different way of doing. And I, I know we've all gone on to digital media. And that's really good. But the profound reality in this moment is not a different way of doing as much as a different way of seeing. When Elisha and his servants saw what was really going on, that the angel armies of God were surrounding Dotham, it changed their perspective immediately. So my question for you as a church is, what do you see today? What is God opening your eyes to as a congregation? I want to suggest to you that mission-focused passion is actually ignited in a vibrant, unveiled, awe-inspiring vision of Jesus. The year is 96 A.D., the emperor Domitian, a highly insecure man, instituted emperor worship, declaring that everyone must worship him as Lord and God. And the church now was under siege for not obeying Caesar's edict. Christians were being harassed, losing their homes, being imprisoned and murdered without mercy, overwhelmed by accumulated losses. But John, oh, you read about it just a little while ago. John, a fearless leader. He would not bow his knee to a mere mortal. And he was banished to the island of Patmos, a barren, isolated Roman work camp in the Aegean Sea. But notice what happens. In this place of isolation and limitation and humiliation, John did not receive a to-do list from God. Amen? He didn't. Rather, he received a stunning revelation of the risen, all-powerful Christ and it was a revelation that revived his heart and energized his mission for the nations. Daryl Johnson suggests in his book that the book of Revelation is really a peeling back of the curtain. It's about helping us see the unseen realities of the future. I want to declare this over you, Unionville Alliance Church. Jesus Christ is returning. Amen? I've actually read the end of the book, Daniel, and we win. 
And I want to declare over you today, be filled with hope, be filled with courage, be filled with a sense of optimism because Jesus is, hallelujah, at the center. And one day we will see him in all of his glory, in all of his fullness, face to face. Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. But Daryl Johnson goes on to say, but also it's the unseen realities of the present. You see, the book of Revelation tells us that things are not as they appear to be. What all of the churches of Asia Minor saw at that point was a crazed Caesar who was on the move to persecute the church. And that's what they could see. But what was really going on, if you draw back the curtain in the book of Revelation, what do we really know is going on? It's not Caesar who is on the throne or at the center. It's Jesus. He is still on the throne. He is on mission, drawing the nations to himself. If we go to Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10, this is what's actually going on right now. In the midst of a global pandemic, Jesus is not static. Amen? He's on the move. And this is what's actually going on right now. John says, after this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands as they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Peel back the curtain. That's what's actually going on. One of the most desperate places of the world. There was a family of godly, godly believers. And they began to pray for those in their community who were being struck down by the pandemic. And as they were praying together, they became so intense in their prayers that they were crying and they were wailing and they were crying out to God to save their village. And another family, non-believers, walked by and heard the crying that was going on inside the house. And so they, they knocked on the door and they were invited in and they said, we, we sense there's an emergency here. Has something gone wrong? And they said, oh no, we're just actually praying for you. We're praying for all of the families in our community that they would be saved from COVID-19. And so the family said, well, can we pray with you? <laughs> so for the next two and a half hours, this family stayed and prayed along with the Christian family. And then at the end of two and a half hours, as they were preparing to leave, they said, what are the alms that we can offer to the God we were praying to? It was customary in that place to do that. And they said, oh, oh, we aren't praying to any idols. You don't have to offer any alms. We are praying to the resurrected Jesus Christ, the one who has risen from the dead. And they shared the gospel with them. And the entire family came to faith in that moment. As of the preaching of this message, 34 people in that village in one of the most difficult places on the planet have come to Christ. They are going to plant a church. That's what's going on. I think when, when COVID-19 is over and we look back on this moment of history, we will hear story after story as the curtain has been peeled back that Jesus is on his throne. Jesus is on the move. Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell are not and will not ever prevail against it. One of the first places I went, Daniel, when I was president of the Christian Mission Alliance was to northern Iraq. The Yazidis, 650,000 in northern Iraq, were targeted by ISIS their villages were pillaged. Their men were murdered. Their women were raped. Their children were kidnapped. It was an atrocity of epic proportion. I determined as a Christian Missionary Alliance, we were going to reach the Yazidis. So we've got families there serving in northern Iraq among the Yazidis. 
We just heard over the last couple of months that as they've been working with the Yazidis, they've discovered that there are some Yazidi Christians. And they are now bringing those Christians together to form into the first gathering of Yazidi Christians in 1,800 years. Come on. In the midst of a global pandemic, Jesus is on the move. He's transforming lives, not only around the world, but also in our communities. So the question is, what do you see today? My prayer for our family of churches is that God would open our eyes, lift the curtain, remove the veil to see the living Christ as he is now. And in seeing him, our hearts would be set ablaze with mission-focused passion. But I want to suggest to you, seeing is all about the right posture. If we go into the text that was read earlier, Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, what do we see? The posture of hunger. On the Lord's day, John says, I was in the spirit and I heard a voice behind me. One of my good friends, Rob Reamer, writes this. He says, keep praying for greater encounters with God. Resolve to ever be grateful for what God gives, but never satisfied, always seeking him for more. Oh, Unionville Alliance, would God implant within your heart a hunger for more of him, an insatiable hunger for more of him. John was enveloped in an atmosphere of spirit-filled worship. And the Christian Missionary Alliance believes in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, unapologetically so. Simpson, our founder, said it this way. He said, I thought I was filled with the Holy Spirit. But he said, I wasn't filled to overflowing. I wasn't filled to overwhelming. He said, I had a little bit of the ocean in a bottle, but God wanted to put the bottle into the ocean. Could it be in this moment of history that God wants to revive the roots of the Christian Missionary Alliance as a deeper life movement, a movement that is filled with the passion the overflow, the immensity of the power of the Holy Spirit. Simpson said this, I needed to learn to take him for my spiritual life every second to breathe himself in as I breathe and to breathe myself out so that moment by moment for the Spirit and moment by moment for the body, we must receive. I'm a product of the Welsh Revival. My grandfather was saved in the Welsh Revival under Evan Roberts' preaching. It was a revival that was born in spirit-empowered worship. And as they would begin each service, and as God would show up powerfully, and in five months, over 100,000 people came to know Christ in, in Wales. Literally changed the entire nation. But this is what they would pray. And I gotta tell you, a little secret, I did pray this over your church too today. Okay, you ready for this? This is what they would pray. Send the Spirit now for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now more powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. Send the Spirit now still more powerfully for Jesus Christ's sake. I pray that over the Christian and Missionary Alliance, that the words we say will be invigorated by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God. This is not a time to be afraid of our theology. And some of us can be so afraid of wildfire and so afraid of false fire that we actually settle for no fire in our churches and treat that as normal. John knew there was something known as holy fire. <laughs> and here he is on, on, on the Lord's day, worshiping, realizing that friends, it is not strategy, it is not methods, it is not a compelling vision. What is needed for this moment in history is men and women follow the Holy Spirit in fire. That's what we're desperate for in our churches. Because yesterday's anointing is not enough for today's challenges. And as one godly leader put it, we need to be summoned to a private world that is deep and intimate and a public world that is bold and focused. 
here's the incredible news. Don't ever be afraid of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. Amen? And so you know a congregation that's filled to overwhelming with the Holy Spirit of God. They cannot get enough of Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is more glorious than they could ever imagine. It is no wonder and no coincidence that John's encounter with Jesus occurred amid spirit-inflamed worship. That was it. The Holy Spirit will always glorify Jesus. One of our partners in South Asia was talking about how the pandemic had really impacted them in a serious way. Uh, all of their training centers where they were training their local pastors had to be shut down. And they had to go online to WhatsApp. But not all of our pastors in South Asia have access to uh, cell coverage. And so uh, one young pastor was so eager, so hungry for more, really wanted to be part of that, that season of training, that he left his village, took his cell phone, put it up in the air, and was looking for reception. He walked two kilometers from his village, climbed up a tree, and finally got cell reception. And there in the top of that tree, he built himself a tree fort. And every morning he goes there to be filled again with the Spirit of God, to be nurtured. Now, come on, Unival, that's hunger, right? Oh, that's what I want to see in our Alliance churches. Men and women so desperate for fresh encounters with the living Christ that they exude what it means to be in the Spirit, the Spirit in them, and the overflow of the Spirit leading them to magnify, glorify, and worship Jesus like they never have before. Are you hungry today? The posture of hunger. The second posture is the posture of humility. John says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And as I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And later we'll come to understand these seven golden lampstands are the seven churches of Asia Minor. That'll become really important as we go on. And among the lampstands is someone like the Son of Man. Andrew Murray says, humility is nothing but the disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. That is the greatest definition of humility. The disappearance of self in the vision that God is all. You see, John was overwhelmed, immersed, enraptured in a vision of Christ that knocked him off his feet. John saw a vision of the unveiled Christ. He saw Jesus as he is now. Daryl Johnson writes, I'm sure that as John sat on the rock piles, he was able to bring to mind all kinds of mental pictures of Jesus, and so can we. There's a picture of Jesus at Cana turning 120 gallons of water into vintage wine. There's the picture of Jesus in Jerusalem driving out the money changers from the temple. Jesus feeding the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. Jesus calming the raging storm. Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus himself outside the empty tomb. Daryl Johnson says, and every picture would help John. But in this situation, one of great fear, John needed more. Full stop, so do we. So do we. What did John need? What do we need? We need a picture of Jesus as he is now. That's what we see in Revelation chapter 1. John saw a vision of the unveiled Christ, Jesus as he is now. He was one like the Son of Man. If you go back to Daniel chapter 7, you realize that, that Jesus is being identified as the Ancient of Days, the Sovereign Lord of the universe, the Creator, the Sustainer of all things. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom will not be destroyed. Full stop. Pause. Yes. Yes. He has a priestly robe. He's a bridge builder between a holy God and between sinful humanity. 
and the sash is on his chest, meaning that the work is finished. It is completed. I want to declare over you, Unionville, in Jesus' name, I break the power of shame. Break it off. I break the power of lies in Jesus' name. Jesus is the way and the truth, and his death on the cross has set you free. Walk in that freedom in Jesus' name. It's a king's robe. Jesus is the king, enthroned above all rule, authorities, and powers. His head and hair are white like wool, like snow, ageless, infinitely wise, perfectly clean. And his eyes, oh, his eyes are like flames of fire. Fire illuminates, penetrates, sees the junk, and burns it. I have a good friend of mine who's been a bachelor for years, and he was telling me one day that he was sitting in his apartment uh, reading a magazine, and some friends dropped over for a visit. And true confessions, he said, I'm the worst housekeeper you can imagine. And my kitchen was covered with dishes, dirty dishes that had been there for at least two weeks. And he said, I knew I had about 60 seconds by the time I, I let my friends into the apartment complex by the time they got to my door. So he said, I ran into my kitchen. I took all of my dirty dishes, pots and pans. I stuffed them inside my oven. And I shut my oven door and I wiped the counters clean so my kitchen looked pristine. And I went and answered the door and my friend said, we've got pizza, but it's cold. Where's your oven? He said, the most humiliating moment of my life was opening up my oven and all of my friends saw my dirty dishes. In light of the fact that his eyes are like fire, what's in your oven? We can become masters of the image and have all kinds of stuff that is cluttered in our soul, bitterness, anger, hostility, lust, a whole series of things that have caused us to be without power without joy, without freedom. I got radically good news for you today. Come on, the best oven cleaner I know is Jesus Christ. Amen? His eyes pierce, they penetrate, and I declare over you no more secrets. Secrets are killing us in the church. We need to walk in the light as he is in the light and let the flaming eyes of Jesus burn away all that is contrary to his will. His feet are like molten metal, strong, unmovable, burning away evil wherever he walks. His voice sounds like crashing waves, awe-inspiring, powerful, and yet at the same time calming. He holds in his hands the seven stars. Seven stars refer to the messengers that are going to speak to the seven churches. But in that time of history, the seven stars also referred to the planets that were visible that they could see. And in ancient days, those seven planets were seen as the dictators of destiny. They worshiped those planets. What Jesus is being declared as is the one who holds in his hands the stars. He is the one who's in control, not the planets. Hallelujah. He holds the planets, the billions of stars, all of the galaxies in his hand. That's the immensity of the Jesus that we serve. And out of his mouth comes a sharp sword, a short blade, razor sharp for close up surgery of the soul. I'll tell you one thing COVID has done, it slowed many of us down and given Jesus a chance to move into some of those places and spaces of our soul that just need some good divine surgery that we may be free. And his face is like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. It's like, you know, the last couple of days when the sun has been like at noon, so bright, so absolutely stunning. He says, Jesus is more radiant than the sun. 
And I got to tell you, it's the radiance of Jesus that flows into our lives and then flows out of us to the community around us. You want to know what it is to be on mission for Jesus? Be so intoxicated, so filled with his holy presence that the brightness of his glory just exudes from you. That's the power of this moment. And John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. No kidding. No kidding. Have you had one of those moments where you've been so enraptured by Jesus you couldn't stand up? I've had a few of those times in, in my life where I've been worshiping and was so stunned by the glory and presence and majesty of Jesus, I couldn't get to my feet. And I'm praying in these days, oh God, would you so move across the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada and around the world, so stun us with your glory that we fall flat on our face and we can't get up. Because we are so intoxicated with your power. One of the last places I went before... Uh, here, I know you love this place in the world. What an amazing place it is. And we met there a, a pastor by the name of... And you got to know, on there are two mafias. Mafias. There's a mafia, mafia, and there's a mafia, and and was part of a family that was a mafia family, and mafia family. And his father told him when he turned twenty that he was going to have to go with his cousin and, and rob a bank the next day. And that evening, as he went to sleep, he saw a vision of Jesus that knocked him off his feet. He said. The glory and the presence and the majesty of Jesus filled the room. And he heard the voice of Jesus say, I love you. I have saved you for me. This is my last call. Come and follow me. And he repented and he followed Jesus. The next day he told his cousin he wasn't going to go rob the bank because he'd become a follower of Jesus. And his cousin said, well, I'm going to have to kill you. He said, it's okay. Go ahead. I'm going to go to Jesus. And then with a smile in his face, he said, I went to bed a Muslim and woke up a Christian. Come on. He went on to plant 87 churches. 22,000 people are now on internet discipleship courses through that ministry. He's had such an impact. These churches have such an impact that they come to him and said, we want your churches to grow. They're making such a good difference in our communities. Come on, wouldn't that be great if the government came to you, Daniel, and said, hey, could you make your church bigger? It's making such a difference in this area. My last prayer over him a year ago was, oh God, they needed to open up training institutes for their pastors. Just a month ago, we got news that that came to and said, we want to help train your pastors so you can grow more churches. This is an unbelievable unfolding of the power of God because when you have a revelation of Jesus, it changes your destiny. Oh, my prayer for our churches is that we would experience an inbreaking, an unveiling of the glorious Jesus as he is now. But this is great news because where is Jesus in this picture? He's in the middle of the lampstands. What are the lampstands? They're the churches. Do you know where Jesus is? He's in the middle of Unionville Alliance Church. Amen? He's walking with you. He knows this church. He knows your vision. He knows your aspirations. Hallelujah. He knows you're a new pastor and he's anointed him already for ministry. Yes. Because Jesus is already on the loose in your neighborhoods. He is. And he's doing the heavy lifting in our workplaces, in our schools. And he simply says to you, how about come join me? 
How about come and join me as I walk in your neighborhoods? Which leads me to the last set thought, and with this I close, the posture of hope. John is touched by the hand of the one who holds the keys, the, the right hand of Jesus, the hand of power, the hand of a warrior, the hand of strength is the hand that touches John on the shoulder. And then those glorious words, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. Oh, I was dead, but now look, pay attention, see, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Literally in the text, it means stop being afraid. Look, I have the keys. This is a declaration of victory, my friends. Imagine Jesus was crucified. He entered into the realm of death and Hades. But hallelujah, death could not hold him. Amen? Could not hold him. And he rose from the dead as a conquering king. And Fred Hartley said, and he grabbed the keys of death and Hades with his own bare hands. Sometimes, I know this is a little weird. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I raise my hand in the air and I say, who's got the keys? Jesus does. He's in control. He's the one who's on the throne. And this phrase, I hold the keys, is a lion-hearted roar, a declaration of authority, power, and victory. It is the fire that stirs our mission passion to reach the nations. Jesus broke the power of sin and hell and death. And the greatest thing that holds people back today is fear. Hallelujah. Jesus has broken the power of fear. These last 14 months have not been easy for a very extroverted person like me. And I got to tell you, the last time I spoke in a church that actually had people in it like this was in an Iranian church. And I saw seven people come to know Christ right in front of me. Agnes and I have had a front row seat in watching what God is doing around the globe. And for the last 14 months, I've been a Zoom zombie. Come on. I know some of you are shaking. You get this. You know and so I was feeling sorry for myself, and I was getting a little depressed, and, and I, I found myself in prayer, and I, I heard the distinct words of Jesus, open your eyes. We'd moved to a brand new neighborhood, and to be honest with you, Agnes and I are on the road so much, we are lousy neighbors. We're like the absentee neighbors. Nobody knows us, right? We're always gone. And so for the last 14 months, we've had to be good neighbors. We have to figure out how to be good neighbors. We're home every weekend now. It has been delightful. Jesus said, open your eyes. What do you see? And I met my neighbor, Steve, and we've become really good friends. Steve shared with me the pain in his soul as last year his son committed suicide, decimated him and his family. Deep grief, deep pain. I just began to love him, and he began to love me back. And a few months ago on my back deck, I shared Jesus with Steve. And at the end of it, I said, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And, and Steve says, oh, yeah, but how do I do that? I said, I think I can help you with that. And I, I led him in a prayer, and I watched Jesus take him from the kingdom of darkness and the hallelujah put him into the kingdom of light. I'm having an incredible time with my neighbor. My mission field was five steps from my door, and I didn't see it. What do you see? Have you been touched by the one who holds the keys? Mission-focused passion is not based on changing our circumstances. Yes, COVID be done. Amen? But, my friends, that's not the key. The key to mission-focused passion is standing firm on the unchanging reality of the one who holds the keys. And here's the great news, and with this I conclude. The one who holds the keys, hallelujah, dwells in you. Full pause, deep breath. Come on, that's amazing. We've been made alive with him, Paul says. 
We have been raised with him, seated with him in the heavenly realms. As Louis Giglio said, it's not Jesus and me. That would be great. But he says, it's Jesus in me. Oh, man, my friend, Bernie Vanderwall, a great theologian, says, it is not just life from Christ, but the life of Christ, Christ himself that the Christian receives. This is not about imitation. It's not about us trying to emulate or, or trying to be like Jesus. This is incarnation. It's Christ in us, mediated by the Holy Spirit. What gives us mission passion? It's his vision. <laughs> It's his power. It's his love. It's his grace. It's all of those things manifest in us by the Holy Spirit. Two years ago, uh, when I turned 60, on my bucket list, you'll love this, Daniel, was I wanted to skydive. This was my dream. And uh, Agnes, I finally convinced Agnes. She said it was okay. My insurance was paid up. She was going to be well looked after. We were, we were good. So I, I contacted a, 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 a flight school. I went, Agnes went there with me. I took the, the training of, of uh, you know, jumping out of a plane and all that kind of thing. And then it was going to be a tandem jump. So I was connected with a, a sophisticated harness with Nick. Nick is a wide-eyed, fully tattooed South African that has had about 6,000 jumps. But every time he jumps out of the plane, it's like the first time. He was like pretty excited. You can imagine us together. It was like dangerous. So we're in the plane, we're at 10,000 feet, I'm watching all the other people that are going before me, and they literally get sucked out of the plane. And so uh, I have a theological epiphany. I turn to Nick and I go, Nick, because we are joined together in this harness, all of your experience of all of these years, all of your strength, all of your wisdom, all of that actually becomes mine. And then he looked at me and said, yeah, Mr. Hernan, your liabilities become mine. It's a great lie. This is the essence of the deeper life. It's the exchanged life. All that Jesus is becomes ours, mediated by the Holy Spirit. And so as we came to the edge, ready to jump out of the plane, Nick could see that my heart rate was going up a little bit, and I was feeling a little bit of fear at that moment. And, and so there's so much noise, he has to yell. And he yells something completely counterintuitive to me. He says, Mr. Hearn, lean your head on my shoulder. I'd known Nick for 45 minutes, and I'd lean my head on his shoulder, which meant I trusted him with my life instantly in a moment. I've known Jesus for over 50 years, and sometimes I still struggle with that. How can that be? You see, mission-focused passion is the reality that the one who touches you on the shoulder, the one who says to you, they do not be afraid, lives in you. And in the midst of the uncertainty, and in the midst of all of the challenges we face, he says, lean your head on my shoulder. I got this. I got you. And then, jump. 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 Mission-focused passion. The awe-inspiring Jesus. May God open your eyes to see him. The risen and glorified one. Shining like the sun with fire in his eyes. Holding in his hands the keys of death and Hades. Walking in the middle of his churches. 
In Jesus' name.